Welcome to the Post-COVID Church Podcast with your host, Stuart Kellogg. I love worldview. Uh, after seminary, uh, I had the opportunity to study under uh, Chuck Colson. And those of us here over 60 uh, will know who Chuck Colson is. For those under who don't, who don't know, he was an aide to uh, President Nixon. And he was called President Nixon's hatchet man and uh, dirty trickster and everything else. And um, during the Watergate scandal, that was the biggest political scandal of, of the generation, he was part of the cover-up, pleaded guilty. It wasn't long before that time, a friend of his, Tom Phillips, who was president of the Raytheon Corporation, uh, would talk to him about Christ and then gave him Mere Christianity. And I don't know how many of you have read it. It's a terrific book from C.S. Lewis, Mere being basic Christianity, not Mere as in little Christianity. And that was, for Chuck Colson, this brilliant man, that was what turned everything in his life to Christ. Um, he went to prison in Montgomery, and it was there that uh, he was called in his ministry uh, to prison ministry, came out and um, started uh, Prison Fellowship, which still runs today. One of the things he realized as he was going through bringing Christ uh, into the prisons around the world and seeing the change and seeing the prisons continue to fill up with more and more people, he said, unless we change the way people think about things and their worldview, it's just going to keep getting worse. And so the last part of his life, he really focused on teaching the Christian worldview. I was part of the fourth class that he put together, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight because it is so important uh, for the church and for Christians to have a, especially now, uh, deeper understanding and what it means in the culture. And again, the worldview is simply this idea of that's the lens through which you uh, really see and make sense of the world around. And everybody's got one, and we're going to talk, talk about that. Uh, everyone's got that lens, uh, but what is the foundation for it? And that's what is really critical to talk about, and that's why it is the foundation for systematic theology, because you're looking at, you're saying you're grounding is uh, in Christ, is in the Bible, is in Scripture, and how does it all work together. And it also fits perfectly with, with Brent's slogan that uh, he loves saying. He seems to get uh, excited whenever he says it every Sunday morning, uh, the first Fairhope family of faithful followers. And that's that whole idea. What are we faithfully following? Christ. And where is it? It's in the Scripture. And it impacts the worldview. And too often, unfortunately, um, especially now, the church is like this young woman. Uh, I love Jesus, I just don't like theology and doctrine and Bible stuff. Um, and unfortunately, that's the outlook uh, too often is, um, and of course we're not minimizing the relationships with Christ, but it's a lot more than that because how important is the Bible, how important is scripture, and how important is doctrine? And we're seeing right now, we're in the middle in our culture, what happens when your doctrine veers off from the foundational biblical uh, basis. What happens? And, and I love the uh, term Richard Foster, a writer and theologian. He says, superficiality is the curse of our age. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. And that's the idea, and that is critical, my belief is, uh, in the church, especially because of where the church is going in our culture. And it really ties into our... Um, I love 
as part of worldview, Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect or complete. And that whole idea, I think uh, one of the stereotypes of an evangelical Christian from the outside is, uh, you know, a simple-minded person. Well, that's changing, and I think it's critical that it change. I think it's critical that we talk about, that we know what we're talking about, and that's where it comes to this idea of, of worldview. We are made new in Christ, and so if we're new creations, we are more than saved. We are saved, and we have to look not only what we're saved from, but what we are saved for. And it's a whole lot more than, I'm saved, I can just sit here, wait till I die and go to heaven. That's not biblical. And that's not uh, uh, what we are called to be. We are supposed to be new creations and we're supposed to live that way. I love how Jim Dennison, a uh, former Southern Baptist pastor, and he's uh, founded the uh, Dennison Forum, which is a terrific uh, daily ministry, if you will. Um, looks again at, at what's going on in the world through that lens of the Bible. He says, if others don't see the difference Jesus makes in our lives, they have the right to question whether Jesus will make a difference in their lives. Well, it's a, a key point saying, okay, how, how are we changed? And again, Christ calling us to be his disciple and, of course, to make disciples. And how, that's so important. And if you think of your life after your conversion, after you accepted Christ, were you the same? Uh, did you think differently? Did you act differently? Were you, in fact, a different person? Were you a new creation? And I think all of us can say that, yes, we are. We have changed. And when we look at uh, Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And that's that whole idea of, hey, we are different. And so when we're looking at this idea of um, how we are shaping the world, how we are to uh, inform the world, how we are to make disciples, we have to look and see, okay, what is it about that person that is different and what difference can they make in the culture? And of course, it's with the Holy Spirit's help that we are trying to make that different. And we have seen, uh, those of us who have gray hair have seen it a little uh, more amazingly, but even you younger folks have seen just in the last generation, the cultural drift in uh, America. And if we look back, it really started in Western Europe, and we could see that in the 50s and early 60s, and it's simply caught up here as far as what has changed and what will continue the change. And the, the key is that the worldview changed and that those in positions to impact the culture, those in positions to impact people and the thinking and how they acted, that changed. We can look and, and see, and this is just a year ago, this is the US, US adults who identify with Christianity, just 15 years ago it was about eight and 10, 78%. It's down to 63%. That is a large, large drop in uh, so short a time. And those with no religions or nuns, N-O-N-E-S, has almost doubled to uh, three out of 10. And especially since the latter part of the 20th century is a, the basic fundamental understanding of the Christian faith in America has left. 
uh, large swaths of our culture. Because it used to be there was simply uh, a basic understanding. You may not have gone to church a lot, but you had that basic understanding and its role in our culture. And that has changed tremendously. And it makes a difference in how we evangelize and how we disciple. And a, a little illustration uh, that I have in my life. I was a senior at Syracuse University. Uh, I was a nominal Christian, the family. We, we would go to church some in high school as part of the youth group, but it was uh, a progressive uh, Presbyterian church. No concept of a relationship or anything. And I was sitting on that, uh, we had very few nice spring days in Syracuse, anybody who's been there. Uh, this happened to be a gorgeous day, I can remember it like yesterday, and sitting on in the quad, and this fellow came and sat next to me. Turned out he was from Campus Crusade from Christ, for Christ. And he asked me that question. And the question is, if you die tonight, are you going to heaven or hell? That's a, a, an intro. And of course, my answer was what any nominal Christian, well, yeah, because I'm a good guy. Um, you know, I, I live pretty well, and um, that was a seed. Uh, nothing big happened except that a seed was planted at that time, and it was several years later that I came to Christ in Mobile. I, I moved to this place where people talk about a relationship with Christ. It was like, what is this? <laughs> where did we hear this? But there was a basic scaffolding in my life, a basic understanding of what the Bible was, of what God was, of what heaven and hell was. And so there was, there was something that could connect and that seed was planted. What we're seeing now in an increasing, increasing number of folks in our culture is this idea that I don't even believe in heaven or hell. I don't even know what heaven and hell is. So that question means nothing to me. And by the way, Christianity, not only don't I think it's true, I think it's evil and bad, and here's why. So you have a whole different fundamental uh, opportunity, obviously, to a lost person, but how do you get through? Uh, Matt Hurd, he founded a Christian ministry called Thrive. And he looked at this different uh, approach, and he, and he talked about this idea of that heaven and hell question. If that person's worldview is such that that's not, not going to get in, what might be a question that would get in? And it might be, do you want your life to have meaning and be fulfilled? We have never seen a higher percentage of depression, suicide, loneliness, COVID accelerated it. But you have, in this culture, an unbelievable amount of loneliness. A question like that will get an answer. What, you don't want to be fulfilled? You don't, you know, it'll at least open a door. It'll open a door, and that's what, obviously, evangelizing and discipleship's all about, is building bridges and, and looking at a door. So I think it's critical, especially at this time, and you hear that term culture war and that sort of thing. Uh, Dr. Paul Gould, I love his term, he said, we can't look at it in a war. Are we at war with Satan? Absolutely. Are we at war with the minions? Absolutely. But those who are lost, we're not at war with. They're POWs. They're prisoners in their worldview without Christ. So how do we make that connection? And I think it's critical, and it's an important part of how we as a church and how we as individuals a disciple and uh, make that connection. And so we're looking at that idea of worldview. And as I said, it's, it's that lens through which you look at the world and make decisions. 
It's, it's um, I love uh, George Barna uh, calls it our, our CPU, our computer center, if you will. It's, it's, it's what's making those decisions and, and why do you do them? And there's really a quick test um, that, that this Chuck Colson taught us this. He said, These, this is universal, it's been going on forever. If you wanna know somebody's worldview, where they're coming from, the first one is how do we get here? Okay, are we created in the image of God or did we just appear out of random time and chance and after a month time, here come humans, right? Uh, so that's a big question. What's wrong with the world? As those of us in the church answer with the big S, sin, the fall, it's, it's, it's a broken world. And that's the problem. Well, if you don't believe in God and you don't believe in sin, then it's not that. It is any number of maladies, uh, whether it's, it's the fact that uh, people don't have enough money, don't have enough education, racism, things that are very true and are important in how we look at culture, but are those the root problems? So it's a very different answer, as is, how do we fix it? Again, if the idea is that it's sin and that it is a brokenness in our relationship, your answer is going to be different than if your idea is, well, we don't have enough money uh, to pay folks. So your, your solution will be very different. Um, again, through again, how you're looking at it. And then, uh, what's my purpose in life? And how do we look um, at what we are doing? Is it when it's over, it's over? Or do I have a purpose? Uh, as made in the image of God, am I called to be something uh, more uh, than what I am? Am I called to make disciples? And what we're seeing is a more and more secular culture. And secular is one of those words that gets thrown around. I think uh, the, the best definition is the doctrine rejects all religious principles in civic life. So it's the idea that um, you can have your religion Sunday morning in your churches, just don't bring it in the marketplace. It's got no place here. Go do your little thing, no place here. You'll hear, and, and I've heard some secular politicians talk about, I believe in freedom of worship. Well, China has freedom of worship. They could say that for freedom, you can go worship. But freedom of religion, which is in the First Amendment, is much different because it's saying that, in fact, our faith can have an impact uh, in the marketplace of ideas. And that's the, the big battle, and that's where we really have to, to look at within our culture as we look to make disciples what we are up against. And there are really a couple of, um, if you will, worldviews, four major ones uh, in America. And uh, Mary Poplin's book is Reality Secular, uh, has a wonderful outline. First, material naturalism. Everything that exists can be reduced to its material form. So, and this is basically, if you can't feel it, see it, smell it, touch it, it's not real. Pantheism, uh, we think of this uh, in, uh, in the Eastern religions, and, and they are. Uh, this, uh, everything in the universe is the result of universal spirit. But I gotta tell you, it's all around us here in our modern West. And, and I came out of the television business. I had lots and lots. I, I would love having discussions with uh, ABC folks on the coasts um, about flyover country 
and the fact that what evangelical Christians are, and it's truly, it's, I might as well have been from Mars as far as discussing what it is. Um, but there you're seeing now uh, in Hollywood, how many times have you heard recently, the universe told me? Have you seen that in movies and in shows? And it just started uh, to kind of come in there and it's really taken off. Well, that's the pantheism. The universe told me. How'd that happen? Well, again, the idea, it's that universal spirit. And when you're talking to somebody like that, it's, what are you talking about? That's a perfect question. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> who, is, who is that spirit? Uh, obviously, Judeo-Christian monotheism. Uh, that's us, the sovereign God creator, made man and women in his, uh, woman in his own image, the creator uh, God. And then um, the secular humanist. And this is, this is the biggest. And you got a mix of the naturalism with the secular humanism. This is human reason is the bedrock of progressive consensual, social, moral, cultural, and intellectual foundations. What's that mean? Human reason, me, I'll decide what is moral, I'll decide what is okay to do sexually or in any other way, I will be the one to determine it. Um, that's the heart of secular humanism. And obviously, uh, it's a, that worldview is in the water. It has infiltrated the church, uh, even the evangelical church in some ways. And we'll talk about that in a li little bit. And, but then in our nation since the founding, they've been <laughs> in the world since Christ walked. So it's not that it's new. Uh, the difference is, is that it's not on the fringe. And you can say that a couple of generations ago, well, they, they may have talked nicely about church, but they really didn't go. Well, th that's true. Uh, not everyone was a Christian 100 years ago. Uh, but again, there was that understanding of what the basics were. There was the understanding that it was good. Um, it was good for the culture that people went to church and that had that moral foundings. What we're seeing now is a much more radical secularism uh, saying to heck with it. I, I, I'm not going to be ashamed of it. In fact, again, not only is your faith not true, you're evil. And here's why. And so that's, that's what's set up where we are now. And the biggest thing is, is that the secular humanism is really seeped in and, and taken over. The universities went first. We know that and how it is in education. Um, the federal government's there. Obviously, media's there. And uh, the one thing that is not totally there are the courts yet, uh, but it's certainly this trend going in that direction of um, how people think. And again, it's even seeping into the evangelical church, which is why we've got to be aware and say, wait a second, what's going on here? And sometimes it, it calls for, for tough uh, questions in the mirror for ourselves. Um, idea of kind of how we got here, we wake up and see where we're going, and uh, I call it taking the wrong turn, and it's this idea of the consensus was, uh, in the Western world, was God at the center, and that has definitely turned, and not just in America, again, it really started uh, in Europe, and uh, just came in this way, but it really started a long time ago, in the, sen in the sense that you look back into the mid-1700s, hundreds and the industrial revolution was underway we've gone from pre-modern to modern times in Europe at that time especially and that's when the enlightenment really picked up and the enlightenment 
um, spread there until the mid-19th century. And that is when this idea of rejecting the idea of a personal God in the, in the sense of Thomas Jefferson. He is a deist. He believed in God, but he basically, God wound up the world and walked away. That, that is, uh, was Thomas Jefferson's view. Um, so this idea that the Bible or God isn't the center, man is evolving, we can do it okay. We are getting even better in what we're doing. This is the enlightenment and we are going to be stronger for that. And also we can not have to worry about all those rules either. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's there. So the enlightenment really was where we were uh, going to and the idea that science was going to answer all the questions. Of course, the universities came out of monasteries. The universities were formed by Christians, by the Christian faith because they saw what God made and we wanted to see more and why. So that's the irony of that. But these were taking science and saying that's, that's all uh, that really matters. And then we we've, we've go into the mid-19th century, you, you have Darwin, and that's a key place. Here, here we now have uh, a reason not to believe we got here because of God, again, from science. And so all of a sudden, it's okay to not believe that God made us. So it, that led into uh, really the deconstruction movement. It started in Germany in the late 1800s, and that's when you see uh, questioning the Bible, taking apart, deconstructing the Bible, uh, taking out those miraculous parts, uh, questioning the foundation of the whole faith. That really started then and then moved on in uh, to the 20th century. Um, and by the middle of the 20th century, that, that mindset had gone through all the mainline seminaries. And so then all the pastors who came out uh, as far as rejecting the Bible's authority. Uh, also, of course, what we saw at that time is the acceleration of this idea of not needing God. And then we ended up in the, in the 20th century with the bloodiest, most murderous century ever, led by the fascist in Hitler, um, who loved the Darwinian idea, survival of the fittest, right? and the communists, whether Stalin or Pol Pot or Mao, absolutely slaughter. But, but this is the, the, the worldview of saying, let's take God out, we can do this okay, all on our own. Back to this idea of, okay, who are we out there looking at uh, when we're looking to disciple, when we're looking to evangelize? And how exactly does it uh, lay out? And it's really interesting, Philip Reef is his name, a sociologist who looked at and broke down three worlds is how he put it. And the first world, and these are what you would think Papua New Guinea or, or where missionaries have gone for centuries to, to people who believed in myths and gods, but there was a sacred order. There, there was something beyond them that they were worshiping. Now, it wasn't Christ, it wasn't God, but there was something there. There was a sacred order. So when I have this idea of scaffolding, there was something to connect with. So when the missionary went in to talk about Christ and God, there was this idea that there is something beyond us. Now we can connect this person of Jesus Christ. And that's why the missionary movement worked in that way because there was, again, scaffolding or something uh, to connect to. So those are the, the first worlds. And then the second worlds, those are faith in creator God, not fate, which again is a different from the first. Culture codes are rooted in sacred order and passed down to generations. And that's when you, you look at the Amer American foundation, you look at Europe's foundation. 
uh, clearly because of the church. There is this idea of a creator God and that order. And now we've got the third worlds and that's where we are now. And that's again, not just in America, but it's, it's all over. They reject any sacred order, the self rules and shattering past values. There is no carrying forth. They don't care about that. Uh, again, there's no sacred order. It's all here and now. It's what I have now. Uh, and of course, the self-rules. Mark Sayers wrote Disappearing Church. He's a pastor in Australia. From Cultural Relevance to Gospel Resilience is the name of it. And he looked at it and he said, okay, the church was saying a little less than a generation ago, hey, this, the younger people are looking a little different. Let's do the ripped jeans and the, and the fog machines and let's be cool and hip and, and go that way, again, to be relevant. But again, if you're talking about folks with the third world thinking, there is no sacred order, everything is me. I'll enjoy the music and all, but I'm not gonna really be connected to it. And what we're seeing in the 25 to 40 year olds, that's the millennials up there, um, four out of 10 are not affiliated with any religion. You saw the earlier ones, we were up to 29%. Well, it's more than 40% for millennials at that. And it's always been, well, they're young and they'll come back to the church once they have kids. That's not happening. They're not coming back. They're not coming back. And it's one of the reasons is not that they necessarily reject the teachings of, of Christ, but they're looking at the church and saying, yeah, they ain't doing it. Why do I want to be a part of that? And again, that's one of those issues of looking in the mirror and saying, are we living out uh, as Christ expects us to do? And again, as Sarah talks about, the gospel resilience. We are not, we're gonna stand firmly on what we believe, we're gonna stand firmly on what the Bible is, who Christ is, we're gonna live that way, we're gonna be resilient, uh, we're not gonna go out of our way to, to be something we're not because we think that will appeal to others. There hasn't been that idea of having the biblically bounded, uh, grounded worldview that ends up making the big difference in the community. Um, and again, we talked about the Christian worldview, the biblically grounded set of beliefs about all of life, from work, recreation, finances to God, life after death, and morality. And I'm indebted to uh, uh, John Stone Street, who's the CEO now of the, of the Colson Center, and he, he uh, has Breakpoint. Any of you listen to Breakpoint or, or read it? It's terrific. And he, he talked about this saying, look, the way we look in the church it used to be, it was grounded, should be, in, in that worldview, in that Christian worldview. That's the ground, that's the foundation. From that come the values, and from that then comes behavior. Grounded that way, that's how it's built, that's, that's how it's supposed to be. But as he said, we've really got it now upside down. Where we do the behavior, which is influenced by the culture, uh, and that ties into the values, and then you end up getting the worldview out of it. And so then you end up with the church and with believers not living out through that lens uh, how their life should be. And we can just say, well, some examples. And um, these are a couple from George Barna, who's been surveying those in faith for years and years and years. So to be fulfilled in life, you should pursue things you desire most. That's a, do you agree? Um, and if we look at Americans, nine out of 10, no big surprise. But for practicing Christians, three out of four said, yep, sounds good to me. Again, 
Is that, is that what scripture says? Is, is that the biblical uh, worldview? Um, any sexual expression between two consensual adults is acceptable. Uh, agree, we won't be surprised, 69%. I thought it'd be a little higher, actually, overall. Um, so seven out of 10 Americans believe it, four out of 10 practicing Christians. And by practicing, they go regularly to church. That's a lot. That's a lot. And finally, this one, the Quran, Book of Mormon, Bible all teach the same truth. These are Christians who believe the Bible is totally accurate in all its principles. And that's not a lot of folks. That's a minority of Christians. But still a third of those said the Quran, Book of Mormon, and Bible all the same truth simultaneously. How, how, how does that come if you, you believe the Bible is accurate in all its principles? And that has repercussions in, in how we live, obviously. Um, and that's synchronism, as we call it. C.S. Lewis says, Christianity of false is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance, the one thing it cannot be is moderately important. <laughs> so again, that idea is the need for Christians to have that biblical worldview and what it's based. And it starts by showing up. Uh, by showing up, that is, obviously, as we know, whether it's reading the Bible, having prayer time, having that set aside, how else are we going to build that? It's going to be getting together as the body of Christ, how important that is, and in small groups. In other words, the showing up, um, again, because it's important enough uh, to be our time and to take our time. And what we're seeing is we're not only a divided country, clearly, um, more divided than any time since the Civil War, but also more partisan. And where you are on the political spectrum too often influences the faith walk. And it, it happens both ways, but when we see it on the left, most have abandoned the sacred that we talked about, part of that third world. But those that remain insist the Bible is a book of nice stories, and, um, but it is evolving, and it's not necessarily relevant today. So that's obviously a problem. On the right, we've got it from the political affiliation and the uh, religious affiliation are so closely tied together that those on the outside see no difference, and that impacts the witness of the lost. And so that's where we see it. In fact, um, it's interesting that uh, Ryan Burge did a survey, 40% of self-described evangelicals, 40%, uh, haven't been to church more than once in the last year. That tells you that that is a convenient uh, label, perhaps, for someone who's not involved in the church, but they're going to call themselves evangelical because it, it ties into partisanship. Um, a bad example, which is a good example for this argument, J.D. Vance is running uh, for the Senate in Ohio, uh, a Christian, and he was interviewed and his, he talked about uh, those on the other political side and he said, I think our people hate the right people. And that's a Christian, that's not very Christ-like. Our people hate the right people. Um, so again, it impacts the witness, obviously. Uh, if you're hating people, it's gonna be hard to love them. Huh? Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be hard, hard to bring them in. And so it, it is critical that we 
fulfill that commission of making disciples by looking at it in a different name. Uh, Chuck Colson's quote, the problem isn't the world acting like the world, it's the church not acting like the church. So it's our time to look, okay, how can we responsibly say, go out there, there is a hurting, there is no more, better example of a hurting world than we're seeing around us. One, obviously, strengthening the foundation um, and looking again at those who have the different worldviews, where they're coming from, and this idea of rather than an enemy, but a POW. I just love that term. It just struck me uh, and convicted me when uh, Paul Gould said that. I said, yeah, that's it. I mean, how can you blame someone who, who is lost? And so that will change, I think, how, how we look at it. And helping them see the fulfilled life that we know there is. Greg Kolkel is the founder of Stand to Reason. I don't know if any of you listened to his radio show. He's been on for a long time. I had the opportunity to interview him for a podcast I was doing and about the 10th anniversary of his book, Tactics. And it's a terrific book. And the whole idea is how do we approach those who are lost. He used it, he called it the Columbo method. And those of us who remember the Columbo show, remember what his line was? He was a detective, old detective. One more thing, <laughs> one more thing. Always asking questions, always asking questions. And that's, uh, uh, that's a critical part and it starts with listening and that doesn't happen a lot. And, and that's part of our cultural problem. How often do we listen? We often like to talk, <laughs> but how often do we listen? How often do we ask? When we hear something that we don't agree with, the reaction is, I'm gonna tell you my truth. I hate that term. <laughs> There's truth or no truth. I'm gonna tell you what I believe, rather than, what do you mean by that? So when you're talking about, and again, we're talking about folks uh, who are from, the, with the third world thinking, um, that idea of what do you mean by that? What do you mean by the universe is speaking? <laughs> or what do you mean by uh, who makes the rules on what's right or wrong, for example, if there's, if there's not morality? So just, just this idea of how do we look and, and ask. Um, I, I looked at it's something like the issue of um, gender and gender identification. And so to me, you know, one of the uh, great lines that we hear that is used to attack Christians is, you know, follow the science. And I'm all about science. And Dr. Hankins talked about all about science. Uh, science is important. Um, so often we can use that to ask questions, for example, about, uh, you know, the gender I identity. And when someone is, is professing that they can decide what gender they are, you can say, well, do you believe, in, you're a science follower, right? Yeah, in, in science. Well, science says a male has uh, two X, and, the, and I mean, the female has two X chromosomes, and the male has an X and a Y. Do you not agree with that? In other words, to get that discussion going, um, and to, to draw out rather than just pounding them on the head. So this idea of asking, and I think another thing that we don't do enough, I know I don't do enough, is say, I don't know, good question. <laughs> Can I get back to you? Make sure you get back to them. We don't have all the answers, and I think that's part of that caricature. Well, you're a Christian, you know all about the Bible or all about that. That's a good question, I don't know. 
That's a fair question. Also keeps the conversation going. I don't think we do that, do that enough. Um, and I think that the whole idea is how can we connect? How can we make that relationship? How can we get a sense of where that worldview is? How can we strengthen our worldview? And how can we then go and say, hey, we can provide some answers that I know you have questions to? Uh, because who doesn't have that God-sized hole in their heart? Something is different. Something is bigger than us. Uh, and there is something better there. What can we do to share it? And oftentimes that means, again, engaging, and it means listening. And I think it can really make a difference when we look and say, hey, there's something different about those people. The way we act, the way we react, there's something different, and I don't mind talking to them. Thank you for listening to the Post-COVID Church Podcast. You can find much more at the Post-COVID Church group on Facebook or on the website, thepostcovidchurch.com.